Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. Amen. Yeah, so these, uh, these past few weeks have just been uh, really incredible, <laughs> to say the least. I've been really overwhelmed by uh, all that the Lord has been doing. And it's really hard to just put in the words the things that I feel that's happening in my, my own life. By the way, please forgive me. My, my voice is going over these last few weeks, so I'll do my best to, uh, to share with you. Um, but it's, it's just, I'm just overwhelmed with what God's doing in my heart, what I see God doing in this body. And one of the things that I really feel stirring in my heart is the, the worthiness of Jesus. I don't know how else to put it. It's something I've said. It's something I've had a knowledge of. But I feel more than ever it's coming alive in my heart where, where there's just this awareness that he's really worthy of everything. Uh, I did not share with the worship team or anyone else who came up here what was on my heart for today. And yet so much of it I feel like was already confirmed that he's just, he's worthy of a life laid down. And I, I have just, these, these past few weeks, I have seen Jesus as he's so real, he's so alive, he's so central, he's so powerful, he is so the answer. <laughs> like I've realized no matter who I encounter, Jesus is really the answer. He really is the answer for every human need. He's just so everything. <laughs> and and I've just, I'm just aware more than ever that I, I want to live a life that's living in alignment with that revelation of the worthiness of Jesus. And the question that I've really just been burning in my heart the last like week, and honestly, I wasn't even really tap into this, but I just, I felt God redirect is, is really, what does it look like to give Jesus everything in our life? What does it really look like to follow Jesus? Um, one of the things that, that I experienced this week and I saw in so many other lives over these last two weeks is I watched so many individuals over these past two weeks fully commit their lives to what was happening. I mean, I watched people take days off of work, rearrange personal lives, uh, long nights, early mornings. Like, we, we really labored, right? And by the way, I just want to say this. Jesus is inviting us into something more than event because Jesus is the event. Uh, he's with us. So what, what started, what that taste was, it's leading us into lifestyle. Keep us in prayer. We're going to be meeting this week to really flesh out where we feel the Lord is leading us uh, in terms of how we're going to uh, keep bringing, uh, just keep leading us to, to the going out that we've been doing. But, but what I can tell you is we don't need to wait for, for what it looks like on a corporate level. This is lifestyle. And the things that we've tasted and seen, like the moment we leave this place, everywhere we go, as we go, we proclaim the kingdom of God. But I watch people really, really give up everything over these last few weeks to make, this, to make him known. And here's what I found. In myself and everyone else, I haven't met one person over these last two weeks that endured a lot of cost to their personal life and came out on the other side filled with regret. I've never met one person over these last two weeks that said, you know what, I shouldn't have given that much. Because we're living out a biblical principle, which is Jesus says, if you want to find life, you must lose your life. If I could give one summary for today, the call to live is actually a call to die. <laughs> Jesus invites us to die. And it's actually the most glorious thing because on the other life, of, on the side of us, losing our life to him is fullness of life. He's not a liar. And what I've found is more than ever people coming alive over these last few weeks because we were really laying down our lives in a greater measure. I know so many have, 
But I, even to my own self, I felt there was a greater laying down. And the only thing I could say is I felt more alive than ever before. <laughs> I, I believe that the call to lose our life, guys, the call to lose our life for Jesus, it's the most glorious invitation into a life of adventure, a life of fullness. I believe the book of Acts is still being written. I believe lions are still meant to bow before, the, before men like Daniel. I believe laymen are still meant to walk. But it's as we go, as we go in faith that we're going to see these things. And we did see these things. And my heart is amazed that Acts is still being written. Not in an authoritative sense, but, but the way God is still moving. He's, he's the same God today. He's the same God today. <laughs> and and I, I've, I feel for a lot that many times our boredom and frustration is actually found on the lack of dying and surrendering to the leadership and lordship of Jesus. Jesus is actually calling us into the fullness of life. He says the best thing you can do for self is lose self. And follow me and you will find life and life abundantly. How many of you, I'll put it this way, how many of you, how many of you have ever, this is what I was thinking about this week, how many of you have ever been on a short-term missions trip? Anyone ever been on a short-term missions trip? Because you can really relate to this then. And even if not, I believe it'll, it'll, the Holy Spirit will still connect it. Just recently, we had a team that went to Nicaragua. Um, and it was an amazing, prior to that, uh, another big missions trip that I personally was on was in Joss, Nigeria. If you've ever been on a short-term missions trip overseas or even in the country, isn't it fascinating? Isn't it so exciting? Isn't there something so beautiful where you come alive? where you begin to really feel like I'm living for the kingdom and I'm making eternal impact. There's something so amazing about stopping like the normal like rhythms of life and really enduring a cost and saying, I'm going to come away from work, all these other things, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go away. And you, you leave with this team of people and you can't put in the words the unique camaraderie that you feel with your brothers and sisters as you go to a foreign land, to a foreign people. You don't, you don't know the food that they eat. You don't know the language that they speak. But on the fly, you're going this. Every time you go out, you're living with a mindset of who needs to know Jesus. At the whim, when you feel the slightest impression by the Lord, you say yes and drop your plans and go for it. You, you see people in their brokenness and you're filled with the compassion of God. You feel the compassion of the Lord. And at the same time, when you see his kingdom break through, you're filled with the joy of the Lord. You see all these things happening, and at the end of that seven, ten days, you return home, and although there's a measure of comfort to be back in your own house, if we're really honest, there is a measure of letdown that we begin to feel in our hearts. There's a measure of which we begin to say, well, it's just back to the same old mundane routine. But what if, what if the excitement and peace that we felt was never meant to run out? What if the mission trip was never meant to run out? What if Jesus was really serious when he said, if you follow me, you'll find life and life abundantly, but it's on the other side of giving him everything. Second Timothy, I believe it's 2-4, uh, Paul says that we as soldiers of Christ are not meant to have our lives entangled in civilian affairs. Yet if I'm honest, I'm, I'll just speak for myself, a lot of times I feel like it's the reverse. A lot of times I feel like I'm entangled in civilian affairs and every once in a while I feel compelled to get involved in the kingdom work. Listen, if we, I feel there's such a grace. I know there's jobs and everything else. I'm not saying everyone's leaving jobs, but what I'm saying is the preeminence of Christ and we put everything before the Lord. We trust that he's a good father. We trust that he knows our needs. 
We trust that we can, at the smallest impression, say, yes, I believe in the same way when we go on a mission trip and live like that, we can live like that today and see that God is still moving like he was in the book of Acts. Amen? So I really, there's just a grace for us to lay our lives down for the Lord this morning. And honestly, what does that look like? Well, that's what I want to talk about. Ultimately, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? That's what I feel in my heart. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Because really, there's no such thing as a Christian who's not a disciple. (laughs) We're all called to be disciples, simply followers of Christ, an apprentice to a master. You know, Jesus is master. (laughs) Jesus is Lord. (laughs) And that's good news. He's a good master. He's a good Lord. And all of us are called to follow him. The Great Commission calls us to make disciples. I love Pastor Kim who spoke Friday night in one of his trainings uh, this week or, or two weeks ago. He said, uh, he said something intentionally to kind of stir up everyone, and, and, it, and it did its job. He said, I don't, I don't want to make Christians. <laughs> you know, and everyone's like, huh, what? And he said, because honestly, the only time we see that scripturally is when outsiders in Antioch were describing the church. They described them as Christians. But if you actually look internally of how Christ refers to his followers, we're disciples. And that's a lot different because Christianity, if you're a Christian, that leaves a lot of room as to what that looks like. But a disciple is very specific. We have a Lord, we have a master, and we follow him. So what I want to do is just give some vision for what it looks like to be a disciple. What it looks like to really follow Jesus. And then we're just going to open up the altar and see what God does from there. Is that cool? All right, let's do it. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. So as you turn to Matthew chapter 4, specifically verse 18, again, when we bring up this word disciple, what does it really look like to follow Jesus? I feel there's a, it's a, it's a really like muddy term. There's a lot of probably jumbled responses, maybe even get some blank stares if you ask them what's a disciple of Jesus. And in no, in no means is what we're sharing today an exhaustive study on this. But I do believe in the text we're going to read when God, Jesus, first calls followers, disciples, we see some key marks as to what it means to really come after Jesus. And I want to highlight specifically four marks of being a disciple of Jesus Christ, all right? These aren't laws. They, they look a lot different for every single person, but there are these four like general overarching guiding principles of what it really means to follow Christ. Are you guys with me? Because yeah. we're really, guys, we're, we're, I don't mean this in a prideful way, but I want to I buck the trend of what we're seeing in the church today. I want to I want to come against it and come back into what it really looks like, and part of it is because we're going to see hearts come alive. That's what that's that's the part is that I saw so many hearts, including myself, more than ever. Like we've had fire for we love Jesus, but man, coming alive. There's there's nothing like seeing Jesus touch a life, like seeing that the power of God move upon lives, and that's for everyone. God has called all of us to make disciples, all of us to preach the gospel, all of us to lay hands on the sick, all of us to cast out demons. That's for every single person. Anything less, is, it's, it's living contrary to the Spirit's yearnings in your heart now. We, the Spirit of God longs, it, it only, it, there's nothing impossible for God. God only has possibility. So, so, the Spirit is longing for the things that we call impossible. 
He's longing to do those things. That, that's where he really wants to go. And so there's something inside of us that if we stay in the realm of the possible, what can be done by man, we're very dissatisfied. But there's something deeper that God wants to call us into. All right, so verses 18 to 22, that's the main text I want to share. Four marks of being a disciple. But, because I'm a pastor and I just have to always give more. <laughs> just like when I close later, you'll have five closings probably. I see Will over there. Big beard. I got the Will anointing with my voice. I spent the last two weeks with him. Now I got the raspy voice. <laughs> um, I want to read verse 17 because many times I feel like verse 17 is separated from verse 18 to 22. Verse 17 is the key though, guys. It's the key. It actually sets the context for what we're reading. So please just hear me on this. Verse 17, remember Jesus baptized uh, in the rivers of Jordan by John, comes up out of the water, Holy Spirit falls on him, steps into the role as the anointed son, the prophet, the priest, the king. He's driven by the Spirit into the wilderness where as a man, dependent on the Spirit, looking to the Father, overcomes the enemy. He's the, next, he's the true Adam. He's the true Israel. He comes out victorious. He's now empowered by the Spirit, and he comes out with one primary message. And this is his message. Verse 17. From that time... Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So the dominant message that Jesus came out with is everyone turn, everyone shift, right? We spent two weeks, not too long ago, going into this. Everyone shift, turn, change course of direction. That's repent, for God's kingdom is here. The king and the kingdom is here. Why is this so important? Just hear me on this. I'm, I'm preaching to the choir in many ways because we've hit on repentance so often. We spent two months last year on it. But it's, it's really important to, to reiterate this, that a lot of times repentance is reduced down to an emotional state. So a lot of times when we hear repentance, our first thought is that's where you have really sad emotions over things that you have done. We typically think of an altar call or something like that. Now I want to be abundantly clear. Godly sorrow is real and genuine. And there's nothing wrong with actually experiencing a measure of brokenness over our lives being out of alignment with God. That's beautiful and holy. But the issue is that when we reduce repentance merely to that emotional state, a lot of times we can have those responses that were true and genuine, but then we go right back to where we were before. That's not genuine repentance. God has something so much greater than just a momentary feeling of sadness over your brokenness. He's leading you into liberty. He's leading you into victory. He's leading you into freedom. He's leading us into transformation. That's the end result. The heart of repentance, the dominant word from old to new, you'll see often is turn or return to me, the Lord says, and I'll return to you. It's, it's a complete change of direction with a change of mind, heart, and will. Literally, it's a renouncing of one way of life, an old way of life, and coming under a new way of life with Jesus. Why am I saying this? Because what we're about to read is what it really looks like to have a repented life. What these men did and how they responded to the call of Jesus is, is what it really looks like to respond to the message from Christ, turn and come into the kingdom and follow me now. What these men gave up and how they responded, this is the right response. Make sense? One other thing on this, I'm already spending more time I want it, but it's in my heart right now. Because um, I just feel this is really important with repentance is that I'll, I'll be vulnerable in my own life. About, I don't know, a few months ago, I saw a really dangerous pattern emerging in my heart, and the Lord had to show me. And if I'm honest, I feel like it, it's probably a trend 
at the church in large. I'm painting with a broad brush, but I feel like it's a, it's a trend I see a lot of places. And here's what I see is that there, I feel like there's a lot of enjoyment over really convicting sermons. <laughs> now listen, that's really good. I love the Holy Spirit's conviction. He's showing me why I'm so dissatisfied in my life because it's out of alignment with God's will. So he's drawing me back to what's actually going to bring fullness of life. Conviction's beautiful, but what I've found in my own life and in others, there's almost this weird boasting over like the conviction aspect. There's almost a boasting over the brokenness of our sin. It's almost this distortion where we, we're actually finding victory over our sadness of sin, but then there's no change. It's almost this idolatry of repentance. It's like, yes, I'm so miserable. I'm so bad. I'm so this. But then we do not change. That's not, that's not what Jesus is after. We have to be careful of that. Let it do its work. Let it touch our heart if there's things that are not aligned with God. But, but the whole point is for us to, to walk into freedom and liberty, not just to keep coming back again and again with this weird false humility of, wow, look how broken I really am. God is, because Jesus is so good and he's so powerful. And so I want us to walk in the freedom that we have. So here's, here's what it really looks like to have a change of course in our life. You guys ready? Here we go. Four things. I'll read it through and then highlight, highlight a few of them. Verse 18. It says, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, meaning God, Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. So these guys are fishing, ordinary, uneducated Galileans, and God is going to show up in their life. <laughs> Verse 19, and Jesus said to them, follow me. Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Look at verse 20. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Verse 21, and going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. So you had Peter and Andrew, one set of brothers, now James and John. He calls them now. And look at their response. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Four things that really grasp what it means to follow Jesus. The first thing that, that sticks out to me is this call, follow me. The first mark of a disciple is profound and deep relationship with Jesus Christ. Union with Christ. This is the greatest invitation that is ever given. Consider the magnitude of the me. Follow me. Who's me? The God of glory who dwells in unapproachable light came and wrapped himself in flesh and came to broken men because broken men could not come to him. And he gives us an invitation to say, come and follow me. I do not know if there is a greater summary from these two words of the entirety of the Christian faith than for Jesus to call us to follow him. One of the most fundamental differences between Christianity and every other religion is that other religions will set before you a teacher or a prophet who will ultimately point you to a way. They'll point you to a path and it's very complex and there's many things you must do and if you're able to achieve it just right, then just maybe you'll obtain nirvana or whatever they call salvation. Christianity is radically different and Jesus makes it really simple. He says, this whole thing is wrapped up in me. You're not just following regulations. You're not just following rules. You're following a man. 
The call to be a disciple is to be in a deep, abiding relationship with the Son of God. Jesus, listen, Jesus, this tells me that when Jesus says, follow me, Christianity is not merely about adopting a new list of do's and don'ts. It's not merely about acquiring new information that you didn't have before. Uh, Jesus isn't simply asking us to have some behavior modification. It's a life exchange. And Jesus is actually inviting us to lay our lives down and follow after this man. Hear me, Jesus is not saying, would you pray a prayer with me? Listen, that's such a, that could be such a valid starting point. We've had that. But if that's all we've done and then we go right back, we have not truly come under and into the lordship of Jesus. He's not coming around saying, hey, would you pray a prayer and get out of hell card? He's saying, would you follow me? Would you lay your life down? Would you make me Lord of your life? Would you surrender everything? And I promise you, you will find life. You will find freedom. You'll find victory. Jesus isn't even asking us to have just believe the right things about him. Oh, this is so important. We need to have right thoughts about Jesus. But he's not simply saying, would you just believe that I'm actually the Messiah, the Son of God, the Holy One? You know why that's not enough? That's not the only thing. It's because even the demons believe that. They say, you're the Holy One. You're the Son of God. You're the Messiah. You're the Chosen One. You're the Savior of the world. They're not disciples. Unless we're on a deathbed or the thief on the cross with no opportunity to live a life, it looks like something to follow Jesus. The starting point is to believe he's the Savior, no doubt about it. But my point again is that all, if all we've done is come into agreement and say, well, I believe he's Holy One, Savior, but then our lives never shift into a real following of Jesus We're actually not walking as a disciple of Christ. Jesus is not even asking us, I think, Johnny, you kind of hit on this. Jesus is not asking us, he's not saying, would you invite me into your, uh, would you invite me into your heart? (laughs) Jesus is not saying, would you invite me into your life? God is actually saying, I'm inviting you into my life. Guys, that's radically different. Why? Why is Jesus not saying, invite me into your heart? He's saying, no, I'm, as- I'm inviting you into my life because dead men cannot invite Christ into their life. Dead men can't revive themselves. And the Bible says, outside of Christ, we are all dead in our sin. Consider a man who flatlines on a hospital bed. Can he come up out of that bed, come to a nurse and say, hey, can you apply the shocks to my chest? No, he needs someone from the outside to call him back to life. Feel the grace of this call. The God of the universe is coming to every person in this room right now. And he's saying, follow me. Would you, I'm inviting you into my life. I'm inviting you to the kingdom. I'm inviting you to get lost in what I'm up to. God, once his voice, like right now, his word goes forth. There's life in his word. He's resurrecting dead men. What comes first? For a child to be born, did the child go to the parents and say, hey, I want to be born? Or did the parents have to make a decision? (laughs) No man can be born again first with their own decision. There's a real surrender to what Jesus has done. But the first decision came with the Father. (laughs) And he begins to awaken us by the Spirit. And as we say yes, we become born again. There's so much grace on this call. I'll, I'll put it this way as well. One of the, again, one of the foundational, fundamental differences of Christianity and every other religion. There's an imagery I, I heard when I was first saved and always stuck with me. But I want you to imagine this. I want you to imagine every religion is represented on the top of a mountain. 
And just for a moment, let's just say that every God is really, is really real. I do not believe that by any means, but let's just say that. Every God is represented up there. Buddha, all of the gods of Hindu, New Age, everything's up there, and Yahweh's up there as well. What every religion says, man's at the base of the mountain. Every religion says, here's what you must do to climb up to get to God. They lay out a path, and if you can get it right, you can get to God. Where Christianity is fundamentally different is it's the only religion that says God came down off the mountain, became a man, then walked the mountain for us, and now has opened a door for us to be made right with the Father. That's the hope for every one of us. The good news, the gospel, is not what God has required. It's what God has provided for you. Everything's been provided for you in the Son. From that transaction, now we give him everything. Why would we not? If we really believe this word, you, maybe you came in here for the first time and said, this is wild. People are dancing, crying. I don't know what's going on. Listen, it, not that worship has to look any certain way, but how could we not be? If we believe the word of God, we believe that we were created, lost, and God could have crumpled up the earth and set it on blaze. Instead, he said, I'm going to come into the earth as a man. I'm going to take everything that was meant for every man, put it on me, and everything that I am will be put on them, and they can have new life liberated set free how can we not dance how can we not sing how can we not rejoice and how can we not go out and share i'm so encouraged i see multiple faces from this week of people going out taking everything inside of me not just to want to have everyone just testify right now but it's real like jesus is just he's just so good <laughs> so just consider the grace of the call today for every one of us and i'm not just speaking for Someone doesn't know the Lord, I feel there's a fresh invitation for all of us to really go deeper with Jesus. In fact, do you know something amazing? Jesus came on the earth, and one of his roles, he, he was a rabbi. He was actually a rabbi, which is a teacher. And teachers have disciples. There's nothing new about that. But what did make Jesus' uh, teaching, or the way he functioned as a rabbi, so rich with grace, is that rabbis in the days of Jesus would not dare go around asking people to follow them. You would have to go to the rabbi, and you'd request, can I follow you? And the higher the rabbi got, the harder were the requirements to follow him. That's why Paul boasted and said, I, was a, I sat under the teacher of teachers, Gamaliel. No one could just go up to Gamaliel and sit under him, but I did because I met every requirement. I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees. Consider the grace that God is coming to man. That's the hope of Christianity, not man's pursuit of Christ, but Christ's pursuit of man. In our brokenness, Jesus is coming around still to this day by his spirit, saying not just pray a prayer, but would you follow me? Would you lose everything for my sake? And I promise you, you will find life. I don't know. I'm ready to give everything. <laughs> I really am. I just feel it. I feel it. It's just something's stirring in my heart. It's so, so deep. And I'm so encouraged by everyone that's just giving their hearts to this. All right. That was only number one. <laughs> We'll move through these a little quicker. Number two, he says, so the first mark is union with Christ. Here's the second mark of a disciple. He says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Man, I kind of want to say something else right now. <laughs> One other thing with follow me, sorry. This call to relationship, it's the call that precedes every other calling. So we're about to talk about making disciples. I want you to know, though, your first call is unto the Lord. I didn't understand this first off, and I went out doing many good things like we did these past few weeks, but know this, if all we do is go, 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 and never learn how to abide daily with the Lord and come away with him, yeah. it, the life is found in Jesus, okay? So, so I just want to be clear that we're called to first abide in him. 
I'll give you one quick illustration I'm just remembering right now. Brian Garen. Haven't you ever heard of Brian Garen? He, uh, he's just really awesome voice. He, um, he was preaching a few years ago at a, at a, a conference, Jesus conference, and he was, I think he was a carpenter or something like that, and, right? And he was given a simple story that really hit me. He said when he would uh, furnish homes, I picture like he was doing homes out east, like Dune Road. He didn't live on Long Island, but really nice homes. I don't know if this is for the, the standard or this is the way he did it, but he said when it came time to furnishing these beautiful homes, one of the first things they did with clients is they begin to pick out the carpet, the rug, and they would pick out the shape and the size and the color and so on and where it wanted to go. And that was one of the first things that they would lay down. And then from that place, they would put furniture, colors of the wall, so on and so forth. By the time the room was done, if you stepped into the room, you saw everything but the rug. The rug was buried underneath everything else, yet it was the foundation for everything else to be built off of. This is our hidden life with Jesus. This is our intimacy with Jesus. No one else sees it. Every day we come away with them, but it's what everything else is built off of. Amen? All right. He says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So the second mark of a disciple, every disciple makes disciples. (laughs) That is really good news. (laughs) This is where I feel that where there's a coming alive to be used in this way. Now listen, this can be done in all different contexts. It doesn't need to look the same. It's different for someone who's in vocational ministry versus someone who's a stay-at-home parent. But nevertheless, God is calling you to build relationships, invest in people's lives, and lead people to Jesus and walk them in freedom and maturity in Christ. And I promise you this, not only that person will be changed, you'll be changed in the process as well. Once you are born again of the Spirit, you're born to reproduce. Just think about this in the natural Every person here is born with an ability to reproduce. In the spirit, it's the same thing. When you're born again of the spirit, you're born to reproduce. Now, I don't, I don't make, I don't, I'm not saying this to make light of anyone's situation, but just to use this illustration, in the natural, if a man and a woman are unable to reproduce, most likely when they go to the doctors, the doctor will give some diagnosis that will say there is an internal issue in either the male or the female. If they're unable to reproduce, the doctor will say, we've got to fix something on the inside because you were made to reproduce. The same applies to the spiritual. If we're not reproducing other Christians, something is wrong on the inside. Not to condemn, we say, Lord, what is going on? Why, if this is what it looks like to be a disciple, why is my heart, why am I not wanting to share the gospel with others? Why am I not wanting to lead others into faith and watch them grow in the Lord? Again, because I I believe every person is longing to make disciples. <laughs> Every person is longing to share the gospel. I used to think this, th- this, this, it reminded me this week. Do you ever feel like sharing Jesus with a stranger, there's like a massive wall? <laughs> and I ever feel like, how am I going to break through this wall? Well, the imagery that I had, because once you share Jesus, here's what I realized, that wall, it's not real. <laughs> it's like the cartoon hologram where it looks real, and then you build all this might and say, oh my goodness, how am I ever going to bring up Jesus with this person? And then you run through it, and you go right through, and you realize, it was all deception. (laughs) There's really no wall. And what you actually find is your heart longs to share Jesus with people. That's why we share Jesus with each other all the time, because we know it's okay. The only reason why we don't share with other people is we're afraid of maybe what, what might happen, but deep down, we're actually longing to bring Jesus up. I noticed that if I could just bring Jesus up in a conversation, someone who was newer in the faith would just be like, oh, let me pounce on that right now. 
And where there may have been timidity, now it's like, I want to tell you what Jesus has done in my life. So everyone's longing. You don't realize that maybe you do. You're longing to actually share Jesus with other people. If you feel overwhelmed by the task, notice Jesus' words. He says, I will make you fishers of men. <laughs> Jesus is not, it's actually not so much what he's calling us to do, but what he's causing us to do. There's such a deep transformation from following Christ that the only natural response is by his grace, he's actually compelling us to go and make other followers. How many of you have ever said this? I know I have. How many of you ever said, I feel far from Jesus, <laughs> right? Now, I don't want to reduce this to something that's, that's too simple. I understand a lot of things can contribute to that. First of all, we're never far from Jesus. He abides in us. But I understand that thought. It just feels kind of dry, whatever it is. The Lord was really highlighting something to me in the Great Commission, which is go, live missionally, make disciples. Do you know what Jesus promises at the end of it? He says, I will be with you always to the end of the age. There is a unique nearness that we actually can sense when we live missionally making disciples. I've, 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 I feel so near to Jesus in the prayer room, but there's a nearness that I have felt over these last few weeks that is different than I can feel in the prayer room and vice versa. I want to say this. If you feel far from Jesus, feel. It's not truth, but if you feel far from Jesus, here's my question. Are you living missionally? Are you sharing your faith with people? Are you stepping out and making disciples? And I would venture to say, most of the time, if we live that way, all we would see, however present he is, working through us in power, his presence being known, as he's flowing through us, we're being touched in the process. Amen? All right, here's the third thing. Verse 20. Look at this word as he calls them. It says, immediately they left their nets. Immediately. Look, look down at verse 22. When he calls James and John, it says, immediately. So a third mark of discipleship is urgent obedience to the mission. Jesus is Lord and Master. When he speaks, we obey. Yes? Listen, there's a weird thing going on right now where we're calling obedience legalism. It's not legalism. It's not legalism to give everything to the one who died for you. Here's the difference. Legalism is right action, but wrong motive. You're trying to earn acceptance, earn salvation, whatever it may be. Obedience is right, right motive with right action. The only appropriate response to this man, Jesus, is to obey. Not because I even have to. I want to. My heart longs to obey this beautiful king. We do not need to dumb down holiness and purity to be more attractive. Holiness is very attractive to broken people. Just look at Jesus' life. He was sinless, and yet the quote-unquote sinners love to be with him. They love to draw near to him because there was something about his life that was actually provoking hope that they could come out of it. So often it's like, well, I'll be kind of one foot in, one foot out so that I'm more relatable. No, 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 listen, Jesus... Jesus was the most approachable man ever, and he was perfect. That's not a, I understand we have brokenness in our life, but, man, let's run after Jesus and give him our full obedience. The Great Commission says that when we go and make disciples, it says that we are to teach them to obey everything the Lord has commanded. So not just teach, but to teach them to obey. Yes? All right, I want to share um, a scripture with you really quick. Hold your spot in here. Uh, we'll come right back, but if you could turn with me to Luke, Luke 9 really quick. 
I'm in Luke 9, verse uh, 59. This is Jesus as he's walking. He's calling people. He's on his way to Jerusalem. Just want you to see these uh, two or three verses here. Luke 9, verse 59. As Jesus is walking, he's calling out to men and women to follow him. Let's read verse 59. To another, he said, follow me. You guys see that? There it is again. Same invitation, follow me. But look at the response. But he, meaning the man, said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Verse 61, yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first. There it is again. Let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to them, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And those are pretty strong words, and there's not enough time to unpack all of it, but here's, here's what I, for me, the summary, at least for this moment, is that Jesus is worthy of preeminence in our life. And what he's actually warning against is the trap of delayed obedience, because delayed obedience is actually still disobedience to the King of Kings, <laughs> the Lord of Lords. And what Jesus is warning us of here, I think, is the tendency to put actually blessings he's given us in front of him and say, Jesus, I, I will, I promise, I'll go all in, but my, my husband, my wife, they don't really know you, so let me just be over here first. Jesus actually says, I'm worthy of you leaving everything and coming with me, not to leave your family, but, but to still run with me and not hold back from everything that I'm asking you to do. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. He has preeminence in everything. All right, last thing, we'll come into Matthew 4, the last one. Union with Christ. Making other disciples is what a disciple does. Urgent obedience to the mission. And then here's the last one. Look at verse 21. Oh, I'm sorry, verse 20. It says, immediately they left their nets and followed him. Look at verse 22 for James and John. It says, immediately... They left the boat and their father and followed him. So the last thing I just want to put before you is a follower of Christ, a disciple of Jesus, embraces joyful abandonment. And I want to highlight joyful abandonment. These guys were leaving possessions, professions, careers, safety, security. Like this is their financial savings James and John were going to inherit the business from their father. Now, I'm not saying this is what it looks like for every single person by any means. But what I am saying is that if Jesus calls us to drop something, we are actually called to drop it. But in case you think we do this begrudgingly, we're actually called to do it with joy because of the value and the worthiness of who Christ is. And I want to prove this really quick, Matthew 13. And then I'll have the worship team come on up. Look at Matthew 13, verse 44. I don't want you to get caught up on the gravity of what you're forsaking. I want you to see the glory of the one that you're following. Jesus isn't leaving us in some weird, middle, like dead religious place where we've left things behind. Whatever you leave for Jesus, I promise you this, he will fill in every single gap. Matthew 13, 44, Jesus, his own words. He says, the kingdom of heaven, remember, repent. 
for the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is here. Jesus says the kingdom and its king is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Listen carefully. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. (laughs) Is he doing it begrudgingly? Is he like, I have to? He says in his joy, when he finds the king in the kingdom, he gives up everything because of the supreme value and worth and beauty of this man. Look at the next verse, verse 45. It says again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, that's the king in his kingdom, went and sold all that he had and bought it. This is the... This is, the, this is what we're forsaking all for. Not just for any man. We're forsaking it for the one who all things were made by him, through him, and for him. It's an invitation into the greatest life ever. The only times that this sounds strange to me is when self takes too much of a focus rather than God in my life. To read one quote to you, it says, ultimately, when we follow Jesus, ultimately, our reason for living changes. Positions are no longer our priorities. Comfort and security are no longer our concerns. Safety is no longer our goal because self is no longer our God. We want God's glory more than we want our own lives. This is what it means to follow Jesus. (laughs) One other verse, actually. Matthew 19. I told you. Eight closes. I just want to encourage you with whatever the Lord's calling you to lay behind today. I trust he's already highlighting things. Maybe you don't know him. There's a call to follow him. Matthew 19, verse 27. It's a conversation that Jesus is having with the disciples. Verse 27, listen, Peter, what Peter says. Then Peter said in reply, see, we have left everything and followed you. There's Peter. Peter's saying, Jesus We've left everything and followed you. He says, what then will we have? And Jesus encourages them with eternal life, eternal rewards. He gets them to see bigger than just this life. But I want you to specifically see verse 29. To the man that says, wait, I've left everything, Jesus. What will we have? Here's Jesus' response. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father, or mother, or children, or lands. Guys, some of you following Christ has cost you family. Some of you following Christ has cost you family members. Some of you following Christ has led you to go into other places that you did not expect to go. Jesus' words are for you this morning. He says, if anyone has left mother, brother, father, sister, land for my sake, he says, you will receive a hundredfold. You know what that means? That's an expression of unlimited return. He says, you may not see all of it in this age, but I promise you in the age to come, in in eternal rewards, he says, I will give back lavishly to you everything that you have forsaken. Would we come up higher and live for something more than just our own little life right now? Just the five, ten-year vision that we often have. Jesus says that you will have eternal life. Four things to be a disciple of Jesus. A lot different than if you want Christ, would you pray with me? <laughs> if you want Jesus, would you follow him? Would you live in relationship with him? If you want, if you want Jesus, will you go and make other disciples because you love him so much? If, if you want Jesus, will you obey him when he speaks to you? 
And when we miss it, his grace will pick us up and we'll keep running after it. If you want, if you want Jesus, will you drop your nets? <laughs> I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up because I really believe, I know it's hot, but we're going to overcome that. <laughs> so I really believe the Lord wants to really break some things off for our life. I'm going to read this and then we're going to open up the altar for those you'd like to stay and respond. I want to read it out of Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Very similar to everything that I've just shared. In the words of Jesus, he says this. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples. Here's what Jesus said to the crowds. I'd imagine this. If Jesus was standing before us, Jesus would probably say something like this again. <laughs> Jesus' own words, he says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And you say, well, what exactly does that look like? Jesus goes even deeper and explains it. He says, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Now, Jesus is not asking you this morning into a life of misery. <laughs> Again, I've often found that to be very distorted, this passage, and to say, the more miserable you can make your life, the more favor you have with God. He's not inviting you into misery. Actually, he's giving you the prescription into the fullness of life. And Jesus is actually saying, I care very much about your welfare, so much so that I'm not going to hold back the truth. And here's what Jesus is saying. The best thing that you and I can do for self is lose ourselves. <laughs> He's not talking about putting away all of our hobbies and things like that. He's saying, I'm talking about self no longer governing life. The best thing that we can do is actually say, Jesus, lead my life. The invitation, or let me put it this way, to deny Jesus' invitation is actually to deny infinite joy, pleasure, satisfaction. That's actually, to look at Jesus and him say, would you lose your life and follow me? To walk away from that is actually, I found it would be insanity. For it is to look at the one who is fullness of pleasure. It is to look at the one who is living water and bread of life and say, no, I'd rather eat this and drink of this. <laughs> but Jesus says, if you will come out of that and come to me, you'll find true pleasure, true satisfaction, true life. Guys, so often, anyone who knows the Lord, or even if you don't, you'll often hear, when I die and go to heaven, then I'll have satisfaction. Then I'll have peace. Then I'll have joy. Then I'll have freedom. When I die and go to heaven, what if you could die today and have heaven come and live inside of you right now? What if, that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is actually saying, you don't have to wait to die because death is not your savior, I am. And if you would die to me today, you don't have to wait for a future day for satisfaction, joy, fullness of life. He says, lay your life down today and you can have heaven now. That's for every single person. So listen, I'm not going to invite anyone to lay hands on you right now. Maybe after we'll come around. But I, what I'm going to say is we're going to worship. And if you feel anything that the Lord's calling your heart, you don't know Jesus, you say, you're responding to him. There's a man here today you're responding to. Then I invite you to come to the altar. 
if you're walking with Jesus, but you just say, I want, I feel he's putting his finger on something and I want to give him more, I just invite you to respond to Jesus at the altar. And as we worship, I trust the Lord's going to meet you and break things off of your life. Amen? Yeah, let's worship.